The RBA lifted rates by just 25 basis points yesterday, but the US is expected to go further for another 75 tomorrow. Any hope of perhaps slowing to 50 was dashed by the job openings numbers. They were in decline, but suddenly there's a bunch more jobs, so the labour market is likely to stay as tight as ever. That's not going to help keep inflation down. But what happens next? Well, we've got Christmas just around the corner. Maybe this is the time to take stock and let the lag effects catch up. So on that, it's going to be interesting to hear the tone adopted by Jerome Powell in his press conference tomorrow, which happens just before our podcast tomorrow. Actually, it's Wednesday, the 2nd of November, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is pretty flat this morning. Well, actually, it fell 0.7%. Then it gained all of that back, but it's flat now. So most currencies are close to where they were yesterday. At this time, the Aussie dollar flat at just 64, just below 64 US cents. The Japanese yen, actually one of the biggest movers, but even then, it's only up a third of 1%. Bond market's pretty quiet too. 10-year treasuries flat. German 10-year bunds down one basis point, down four in the UK for 10-year gilts. And uh, with the RBA yesterday, we didn't see a big reaction in Aussie bond yields. 10 years up one uh, basis point to 3.76% yesterday. Uh, just one basis point added to that on futures since then. So where is the action? Well, equities, maybe. The Nasdaq at close is down 0.9%. The S&P 500 has lost 0.4%. The Dow is down a quarter percent, while European equities are rising up 1.3% for the FTSE 100 and 0.6% for the DAX. Uh, not sure why, because their economic outlook so healthy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and oil today on the rise. WTI is up 2.2%. Brent is up over 2% as well, getting close to being back up to $95 a barrel. So no massive moves, as you can see, on markets overnight. But it was a bit of a session in two parts. A little bit of risk on, then a lot of risk off. Uh, but uh, across it all, a fairly low-key reaction to the RBA with uh, a low-key interest rate rise, it's fair to say. Sally Ald is with me this morning from JB Weir in Sydney. So uh, let's look at the RBA first. 25 basis points as expected. I guess the biggest reaction was actually on the ASX 200. That did rally a fair bit, so not much reaction on the bond market. So obviously equity investors are a little bit concerned that maybe it was going to be more than that. Yeah, that's right, Phil. I think there was a a little bit of lurking nervousness uh, ahead of uh, yesterday's announcement that the RBA could surprise with a 50 basis point rate hike because we had had those third quarter inflation numbers, which particularly on the core measure, um, you know, I think were uncomfortably higher than expected and did show that inflation pressures had broadened out. But look, in the end, uh, they went with a 25. And I think the message there is that clearly the bar to to doing a 50 basis point rate hike is actually pretty high. Um, And the governor gave a speech last night down in Hobart, um, just talking through the decision. And he reminded us that it is still possible that if the data demand it, they are willing to, to lift Uh, by 50 basis points. But he sort of went back to this idea that, look, you know, we've come a long way in a short period of time. We know monetary policy works with the lag. You know, we feel like the risks to the outlook are looking far more two-sided now than they were perhaps uh, four or five months ago. And of course, you know, they really fall back on this narrative that, you know, we are a little bit different here in Australia, um, not least because the wages trajectory um, isn't anywhere near as, as elevated as it as it is in some other countries like the US. Plus the fact, of course, the RBA meets more often and, uh, you know, we've got the opportunity as well to study the housing market reaction a little bit more as well because, you know, there's more people on variable mortgages, so you've got to have a concern about that, whereas in the US, obviously, people, you know, put put in 30-year or, or lifetime mortgages. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I think that frequency of, um, you know, the RBA board meetings is, is a really important one and, and you're spot on. You know, there is clearly a higher sensitivity 
um, in the Australian economy to, to rates just given the structure of the mortgage market. Um, and so this is why I sort of feel like the RBA are, you know, will in all likelihood deliver another rate rise in early December and then take a bit of a, a pause because they don't meet in January. And so they will have that almost three-month period just to sort of sit back and, and watch um, what plays plays out over summer, you know, both domestically and, and globally, um, and and then sort of reconvene in early February. I did think it was interesting. They gave us a little flavour of, um, you know, the forecast that they will release later this week in uh, in the statement on monetary policy on Friday. You know, effectively, you know, they've revised down GDP forecasts a bit. They've lifted their inflation forecasts. It now takes longer for core inflation to get back to the target, and the unemployment rate forecast looks like it's been pushed up just a touch. But you know, there's still a set of forecasts that suggest that the RBA thinks it can walk the narrow path and deliver the soft landing, and that's really going to be, a, I think, the you know the critical issue for 2023. So where are we headed? Of course, the answer to that question depends on who you ask, doesn't it? Whether, whether you know the RBA's own estimates, if you ask uh, the, the the government, you know what they're what they're estimating, and you ask economists. I mean, it, the the government budget, I think, has 3.35 percent modelled in. That seems a bit light, doesn't it? They might have to relook at those numbers. But do, do we have a clear idea, if you know, of what the end game is? Well, I mean, the, the, the government's forecasts, as they presented in the budget last week, are, are not too dissimilar from the RBAs. I mean, they still very much reflect the soft landing and the narrow, mm. the narrow path outcome. And I guess this is really going to be the story for a lot of central banks um, as we move into 2023, which is that, you know, do you really think that you can bring inflation down you know, from levels that are really very elevated, at least relative to recent history, without causing too much damage um, to the labour market. And, and then that, that's really yeah. the crux. And because we know that if the unemployment rate, you know, rises, um, you know, 150, 200 basis points, then we probably are looking at something that reflects effectively a recession. Um, if central banks can get away with only a, you know, 50 basis points, 75 basis point rise in the unemployment rate, then... Um, you know, that, that'll deliver a soft landing. But I, I would have thought, given, I guess, some of the, the risks that we're facing into around um, geopolitical issues, around, you know, recession in Europe and the UK, yeah. slower growth in China, you know, this is going to be a difficult um, outcome to engineer. Yeah, actually, just on China very quickly, because it was interesting, wasn't it? Yesterday, there was this sort of hope that maybe, and I don't know where it came from, it sort of came from a social media post, didn't it? That, you know, that uh, unsubstantiated anyway, that China might actually be easing off on their zero COVID uh, approach. But I mean, it looks unsubstantiated. I'm looking at the South China Morning Post this morning, and uh, one of the stories on the front page is, uh, you know, the warnings of COVID flare-ups in Gangzhou and other areas, making authorities, uh, you know, uh, turn up their restrictions, new variants spreading faster, forcing parts of the country to endure chaotic COVID curbs. Uh, so it is saying the very opposite of what everyone was focused on yesterday afternoon. So that was one of those things to mark. You know, that was just a vain hope, wasn't it? That maybe China's going to get its act together. Clearly, zero COVID yeah. is with us for a while. Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, you know, and, and we saw, um, you know, those unsubstantiated stories on social media, you know, fueled some really significant moves in, in um, you know, mm. some, some Chinese stocks, um, commodity prices as well in early London, London trading last night. So yeah. I think it gives you the sense, um, you know, it's pretty clear which way the market is positioned in terms of China exposure at the moment. Um, Shocking to imagine that some stuff on social media might not actually be correct. <laughs> I was horrified to realise that yesterday. Indeed, indeed. But having said all of that you know we did get some better data out of china yesterday so the the kegs and pmi um actually mm. increased um and came in better than expected 
And I think there's a there's sort of a bit of a, an interesting story here because we have two sort of PMIs in, in China. One is the one we got yesterday and the other one is the NBS um, PMI. And they've been actually been moving in opposite directions in the last couple of months. So yesterday's number, you know, really, I think, measures a sentiment in, you know, firms that are more private sector um, based, also export orientated. And so, you know, perhaps it tells us in combination with a weaker currency over in China that, you know, there's been some near-term stabilisation in, in, in the export sector. So new orders go up, export orders go up. Um, but I think, you know, the, the more sort of pessimistic part of me says, well, how long can that continue if we are genuinely worried about quite a meaningful slowing in global growth um, over the next couple of quarters? So we'll see. But, um, you know, I think China's going to be pretty interesting over the next couple of quarters and, and definitely, you know, potentially source of, you know, some quite dramatic moves on markets if if authorities do decide to to tell us that they're considering something other than zero COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't hold your breath. It's not going to happen in a hurry, is it? Look, uh, also, I don't think so. something else is not going to happen in a, in a hurry. Uh, the uh, the single weakness in the job market. It just seems that we've got this resilience everywhere. I mean, we get the unemployment numbers for New Zealand uh, pretty soon, actually, this morning. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, might already have happened. And it will probably tell you that unemployment there is, is staying very low. And there was the hope. I mean, of course, we know that Jerome Powell said in the US that if... Uh, if perhaps we see job openings uh, falling, then maybe that'll be the way through uh, without people losing their jobs for them to start easing off on on their approach. So everyone, of course, all eyes were on the jolts numbers. Sadly, they went the other way, didn't they? They've shot up from 10.3 million openings to 10.7 million in, in, you know, in a month. The expectation was it was going to fall to about uh, 10 million. So actually, 700,000 more jobs than expected. That's not what we wanted to see. Yeah, no, that's uh, that is a bit of a dent in the uh, the, the sort of pivot narrative mm. and the soft landing narrative. Can we put so- all pivot talk to bed now? Can we bury it for at least a few days, <laughs> at least till next Monday? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, to me, just because central banks sort of, you know, step down the pace of rate hikes, I don't really count that as a pivot. I think the pivot's got to be a meaningful change in the stance of monetary policy, which is when they say, mm. you know what, we're done with tightening and we're on hold. That to me is is the pivot. So I think the market's got a little bit ahead of itself on that one. But yes, it's not one-way traffic in, in the job openings numbers in the US. So they were down 8% in August. And as you said, up um, a little bit over four percent in September, so um, we're not getting, I guess, um, you know, a really clear trend there. But then, you know, when you do look at the, the the sort of longer perspective on this series, you can see that it it has peaked for the cycle, and it's starting to roll over. But I guess what's what these data are telling us is that it's not rolling over quickly, mm. um, and you know, maybe that just suggests that. The Fed does have a bit more work to do until it, it really sort of sees the labour market start to crack. And I just don't think any central banker can be super confident about, you know, declaring victory on inflation until they see a little bit of damage to the labour market. Um, and, hmm. you know, these data um, aren't really playing ball on that respect. Yeah. In a way, it's quite good that we've got Christmas coming up because it does give a, ch- a chance for everyone to catch up, doesn't it? Because, I mean, al- almost certainly now, tomorrow morning, the Fed's going to go 75 basis points, isn't it? Uh, but perhaps, you know, they, they will be looking and saying, well, OK, we, we need time now to see what impact this is ha- this is having. I mean, it's unlikely. I mean, this could be the fourth in a row uh, at 75 basis points. So they'll have to slow down or at least pause, won't they, to see what the lag effect is after that. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, the story there, I think 
in the US is really all about you know financial conditions. So we saw through the middle of the year when when the market sort of thought the Fed you know were shifting in a more dovish direction and bond yields fell, equities rally, credit spreads compressed, the dollar came off. Um, that the Fed wasn't very happy with that that outcome, and they came out in force and sort of said, no, no, you guys have got the wrong message. We're not done yet by a long, long way. Um, and what they didn't want to happen was a premature easing in financial conditions. Um, because that was not going to be helpful in terms of cooling the economy and taking some of the heat out of inflation. So, yes, I think the market's pretty comfortable with a 75 tomorrow. Um, that's pretty much what we've got priced in. It's one of those meetings where we're not going to get an updated set of forecasts. We're not going to get new dots. Um, and I actually think that, you know, Powell's mm. going to probably try and, um, you know, not give too much airtime to this this sort of expectation that they will shift down to, to 50s. Um, at the December meeting and, and really, I think, try and get through tomorrow without saying um, really too much at all. Um, so, you know, because what they don't want is a repeat of that, that sort of episode where all of a sudden the market grasps onto something that, you know, ends up being counterproductive in terms of what they're, what they're trying to achieve. And then, of course, on Friday, we get the payrolls numbers. So it's quite a big week for the US because I think the market yeah. is looking for a downshift in, in employment growth. And as we were saying earlier, you know, that's one of the the things that we have to see, it's one of the necessary conditions to get a bit more comfortable on thinking about, you know, how close to the end we are in the tightening Yeah, zone. and we did see a, a little softening in numbers again, didn't we, with the manufacturing PMI for the US overnight. So for October, 50.2 down from 50.9. Uh, manufacturing new orders were a little bit better than they were, but at 49.2, they're still in contraction. Perhaps a good sign is that manufacturing price is actually down from 51.7. Uh, so uh, they've they actually fell to 46.6. They're expected to actually rise up to 52.5, but down to 46.6. So that's quite a drop. So, you know, that's possibly a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. So, as you said, big decline in that prices paid sub-index and also supplier delivery times as well. So, you know, th these were the sort of indicators um, that, that people were looking at and paying a lot of attention to when we were all fretting about the, the, the sort of inflation story and the supply chain story. And it's really clear from, from these indicators now, not just in the ISM, but across a, a broad range of other um, surveys that, you know, that whole story has has sort of calmed down a lot. Um, but it's interesting, you know, mm. new orders and employment were up. Um, and again, it just adds to this idea that the labour market's not giving up yet. So that employment sub-index yeah. in the ISM has actually been pretty robust, um, you know, despite the fact that the overall trend when we look at the ISM, when we look at PMIs and some of the regional manufacturing surveys, the trend is definitely lower. And that makes sense, given what we know has happened to global growth and also the strong US dollar. But, uh, you know, maybe all this stuff is is not falling as quickly as you might expect at this point in the cycle. Well, Germany's unemployment numbers uh, are out later on today. Uh, also, uh, what's going on in the Aussie housing market? We get home loans for September and the investment uh, lending numbers as well, building permits. We get the whole shebang uh, on Aussie housing. So, you know, we talked about how that can be more reactive because obviously, the, you know, there's more variable home loans uh, in, the, in the Aussie housing market. So we'll see what that does. Uh, and uh, what else have we got? Yeah, mortgage applications for the US later on as well but of course the main focus uh, just before our podcast tomorrow morning is going to be the Fed's decision and Jerome Powell's press conference uh, will be across all of that on the morning call tomorrow morning but uh, good to talk to you today Sally thanks thank you Phil that's Sally Ald on the morning call and I'm Phil Dobby back again tomorrow morning bright and early see you then have a great day